ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nosebleeds, WFUV's baseball podcast. One of my favorite things to do here at WFUV. My name is Dylan Balsamo, along here with my good friend Chris Hennessy, our friend Juliana Burke, making sure you can hear all the sounds coming out of our mouth today. But Chris, hello. It's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to see you too, Dylan, on Mets opening day. It's, it's an exciting day. Every, as everyone knows, this past weekend was just exhibition games, and, and opening night is actually tonight. <laughs> we are recording this on Monday. Uh, I think you're going to be hearing this on Monday. So uh, that's, that's wonderful news. But Chris, this was, a, this was a very fun opening weekend of baseball. There's a lot to talk about. So much going on. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. And uh, I hope you're right that this actually only counts for exhibition. uh yeah no um any yankee fan would uh, particularly hope so this was opening weekend for the new york yankees at yankee stadium the first time they played a game for fans since october of 2019 i believe Mm -hmm. the last time was when they were in the playoffs back all that time ago i guess about a year and a half ago at this point but anyway so it's garrett cole's first time in front of fans as a new york yankee so much going on uh but a rather disappointing weekend for them yeah no doubt i mean they they lose the series to Toronto one, uh, one. They're one and two coming out of the first weekend. Uh, the the Saturday game was good. Obviously, they win that one five three. But concerns coming out of the the second, the first game and the third game. And usually, you would say, you know, oh, it's you know the first three games of the season. The season is an eternity. Who really cares? But when it's the same problems as it's been for three years now, and it doesn't look like they've been fixed. Um, it is concerning. And I think the lack of ability, the, yeah, the lack of ability to hit with runners in scoring position, if we have to sit through 159 more games of that, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a long summer. Uh, and I obviously hope they figure it out, but you know, even though it's game one to see LeMahieu ground out with the game on the line, uh, it hurts every time. Also, as you alluded to, um, this is a Yankee team that for the last three, maybe even four years, uh, the American League was theirs to lose. They mm-hmm. were the, the favored team. They are arguably the most talented team by any statistical sense in the American League, and especially so this year. So to see them continue to have the same struggles, running, runners in scoring position, not able to come up in that big inning, um, they're incredibly concerning. So, Chris, elaborate for me. Tell me, what do you think the specific problems are that the Yankees have it did not fix from last year. Runners in scoring position and defense. I think, you know, Glaber had a tough weekend at shortstop, and that's going to be a concern. Sanchez was pretty good behind the plate this week. He also had two home runs. So um, if he's able to have a good season, that, that he could be the catalyst for this team. Um, I, I think that, that there's no doubt about that. As much as I hate Gary Sanchez, uh, you have to admit that if you get 38 home runs, you know, that's that's going to be a great season. Um so even though Sanchez was pretty good behind the plate defense and runners in scoring position. And if you can't do those things, you can't win the American league and you can't, if and you can't beat the blue Jays without George Springer, you're not going to win the American league East. So, you know, 
Cole was just okay in the first game. I thought he could have been a little bit better. He could have been a little bit more efficient. Was pulled after five innings, I believe. And I think the highlight of the weekend is Michael King, who gave the Yankees every single opportunity to win Sunday's game. Pitches six shutout innings after Herman comes out. And, um, man, he was very, very good. And that's going to be a promising sign for them, especially because you have a lot of injury-prone guys in the starting rotation. So if you know you can get five or six really solid innings from Michael King on short notice like that, it's, it's going to be promising for them. But so I think the bullpen was a little bit better than expected. But, I mean, they, if they can't hit with runners in scoring – if this lineup can't hit with runners in scoring position, then I don't really know how to, fit, how to, how to play baseball anymore. Yeah, no, you'd think of, of any team that could hit with runners in scoring position. They are statistically the most likely by any by any metric. Yeah. Uh, but then when it comes to the field, it's just not happening. But, um, yeah, absolutely, Michael King was a point uh, this weekend of, of bright spot for a bullpen that also has its question marks. Um, perhaps things that will be figured out at the deadline in some kind of way. Who knows what the Yankees' plans will be come late July, early August. But – you brought up Gary Sanchez, and, you know, I, I am of a, of a school of people, as it seems you are too, that really has my doubts about Gary Sanchez and has for a long time and has started to kind of give up on him. Um, but a weekend such as this one will usually lead certain people to go, well, you were stupid for doubting him anyway. Look at that. Two home runs. He's doing everything just fine. But I think specifically – by the nature of the position of catcher, there's a lot more to it than that. I completely agree with you. Yeah, I've been I've been riding this train since really he first got here. I mean, re- really since game two of the 2017 ALCS, where if he can catch a ball, they win that game and they win the ALCS. Um, there's, I mean, I, that picture of Altuve, He's out by a mile and a half is burned into my brain as Gary Sanchez drops the ball from DD and and the Astros win the game. But, and ever since then, it's just been, this guy cannot catch. He just can't do it. And he had a good week this, this weekend. And a couple weeks ago, I was on here with DeLuca and he is pretty much the lone standout of, of people at our radio station, at least who believe in Gary Sanchez. And this is the kind of week where, where he, he looks like the smarter one than me, but then we'll get to July and he'll have strike, out, striked out 15 out of the last 17 times and have three errors in the last three Garrett Cole starts. And then I'm going to look like the one who's right. It, there's, he's so inconsistent. It's impossible for just one of us to be correct all the time. And I really thought they were going to let him go after last season. But if he has another rough season this year, I, he's gone. I don't have any doubts about that. I don't have any problems saying that. He is a goner after this year if he has another rough season. And – thankfully it looks like that's not going to be true because they need every bat they can get right now uh, to keep them afloat through the month of April. I, I will say there are more weeks where you would seem correct in your assumptions as opposed to DeLuca. The ratio is, is in your favor, it seems to me. Yeah. Um, but the, he, here's the thing, because Gary Sanchez is not the only guy, especially not the only guy we've seen on the Yankees in the last however many years you want to talk about who is a big strikeout guy doesn't really hit for average or, or hit for base hits or anything. He's hitting for power. He's swinging for the seats every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if that gets you a certain amount of home runs that, you know, puts you near the top of the American league in home runs, that's great. Even if it means you're going to strike out, but 
when you are a poor and and it's worth saying let's say you do that and you're a first baseman and you're not the best defensive first baseman that is at least a little more passable but when you are not a good defensive catcher and you're not able to produce consistently at the plate and you are making error after error as a catcher and you have no sign of improving defensively um it's it's more than it's more than a little concerning it's to a point where like they are they are not a benefit to your team they're just neutral mm-hmm. if you if you're gonna think about it the the how poor gary sanchez is defensively is costing the yankees a lot of runs over and over a season that's a lot a lot of runs uh now he may make up for those in a couple of home runs but it's just, it's just not worth it as a team. It's not an investment you need to make in as your team. So that is incredibly difficult. Yeah, it is. It's inc- it is difficult. And this is the conversation I have with Emmanuel and Nick all the time. It's like, personally, I'd rather have Yadier Molina than Gary Sanchez. Oh, of course. I would much rather, um, and I think you and I would agree on this one, I think uh, being a good defensive catcher is much more important than being a good offensive catcher. Right. Uh, I, I, that, that's where I sit. And I'd rather have this great defensive catcher, especially on this team <clears throat> where your first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, right fielder, first, first, second, short and right fielder are all better offensively than defensively. Every well, and DJ LeMay, who's a great second baseman. He's a gold glove winner, but he's a 300 hitter. So certainly our first short and right are better defensively than offensively and you're somewhat often left fielder and John Carlos Stanton certainly better offensively than he is defensively you have so many of those players that putting Kyle Higashioka in the eighth spot as opposed to Sanchez in the six is not actually like debilitating your lineup at all I would argue that it's actually making it better but that's a hard argument to have today after he hits two home runs last week I would argue that it makes it better he's a fantastic defensive catcher Garrett Cole loves pitching to him I would argue that it makes your lineup all encompassing defense included much better, but Aaron Boone doesn't agree with me. And that's why he is um, where he is. And I am where I am. Well, let's talk about Aaron Boone for a second, because so 2017, his first season with the Yankees, a lot of expectations, even that year, there was not, there was not really any accounting for the fact that he was a first season manager. It was, Mm -hmm. this is the team you have. This is the, the baby bombers are here. Uh, and, and it is your job to bring them to, to glory, even as the first time as a manager. And I think a lot of us kind of said, especially, you know, here at the Balsamo house, a lot of what we were saying about Boone was, you know, he's a, he's a baseball guy. He comes from a baseball family. He's going to be just fine. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who also felt like that. Cause if you think about it, they, they've never gotten back to the point Joe Girardi brought them to, right. Joe Girardi brought them to game seven of the ALCS against the Astros in 2017. And they had the opportunity to win the World Series, uh, win the ALCS in Game Six as well. They lost the Game Six in 2019. Other than that, they haven't been to the ALCS. They lost in the division series, and they lost to teams who beat them regularly in the regular season. That's a problem for me. Every for the last three years that Aaron Boone has been here, they weren't as good as the Red Sox. They weren't as good as the Astros, and they weren't as good as the freaking Rays. Man, like those are like if you with this lineup a lineup that Joe Girardi brought to the ALCS with no expectations on the team can't be better than the Rays last. Now the Red Sox team, one of the greatest teams in Red Sox history 
the Astros team looked bound for a second championship until they lost at home to the Washington Nationals. If you can't be better than the Astros and the Rays the last two seasons in the regular season and then lose to them in the playoffs, I have a lot of questions about your ability to coach the team. And I think, honestly, the reason that he was hired was because Brian Cashman knew that he was going to be able to manipulate the lineup personally a little bit more than he would have if Girardi was there. So I wonder how much of this really falls on Cashman that we are actually putting the blame on Boone. I don't know. That, that's, that's a question I don't think we're ever going to get the answer to. Um, but some, there needs to be a juggernaut, right? There needs to be something that just sparks this team, right? Like when the Mets went to the World Series, they traded for Ioannis Cespedes. That sparked the team and it's the reason that they went to the World Series. The Yankees don't have that, right? In 2017, they had this unbelievable rookie season from Aaron Judge that sparked them going to the LCS. Last three years, they really haven't had that. It can be Garrett Cole this year. It can be Luke Voigt coming back from injury. Uh, and you, you just have to, you hope it, you have to hope it's one of those two or it's Sanchez on a bounce back year. Those are really the three things I think it could be. It, it's Garrett Cole putting up a 21 Cy Young season. It's Luke Voigt coming off the injury and go, getting to the all-star game. And it's Gary Sanchez putting together a bounce back season and being in the MVP conversation. Absolutely. A, a, a jolt of energy is um, what, what creates a championship team in almost any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no championship team ever has a boring season. Right. With the exception of maybe the 99 Yankees, but that's, a- <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what I think is very interesting is I think there are a lot of Yankee fans, a lot of people surrounding the Yankees organization who will give the Yankees of the last four years or so the Boone era and the end of the Girardi era, if you will, they'll give them the benefit of the doubt because you'll look at the, the, the overarching situation of like, that might've been the best Red Sox team that you and I are ever going to see in our lifetime. But we know what was surrounding that Red Sox organization. And it's the same thing that was surrounding the Houston Astros organization for a certain period of time. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So there, and I think people will give the Yankees the benefit of the doubt for that reason. Um, And you know, I found interesting about the Dodgers last year, who were an incredible 2020 team and will be, and are bound to be the same this year. But I think there was a lot of pressure on the Dodgers to say, okay, you've been, you've been gypped out of it a few times. Now's your chance to prove that you were supposed to be there anyway, that you would have won had the situation been different. And guess what? They did that. Yep. Um, and if the Yankees don't do that this year, that's, that that is saying much more than just the loss of a season. It is it is the loss of a certain period of time. Uh, yeah. that- I think losing to the Rays is that as well, because yeah. in the same way that the Dodgers had that conversation, the Yankees had it too, where you've completely eradicated. You you've legitimized losing to the Red Sox and the Astros. Now you've legitimized the last three seasons of losing, but then all summer long they got dominated by the Rays. It wasn't just five games in October. Yeah. It was all summer long. So it's, it's concerning, and, and we will continue to talk more about the Yankees on this podcast as the season goes on. There'll be lots to talk about. Hopefully the conversation becomes more positive. But switching to the other side of things, Chris, you mentioned the Mets a few minutes ago. Let's, let's talk about them, because this was supposed to be their opening weekend as well, perhaps a, perhaps a much more sought-after opening weekend than any Yankee or Met team we've seen in a very long time. The, mm-hmm. the, the prospects on the Mets – um, no pun intended, um, were, were huge for an assortment of different reasons. And, of course, they lost their, their opening weekend to COVID. They'll open up tonight on Monday, it seems. 
but um, let's talk about COVID for a second, because I think there are a lot of people who believe that this season is the season where MLB has gotten past COVID and, and there's not going to be a ton of games that are not played and we're going to get a whole 162 games in. Uh, but Chris, if you ask me, and I think you'd agree with me, this is like, we are not, we are nowhere near out of the woods yet when it comes to COVID. Yeah. Oh, of course. And I don't think that that's a question at all. And, you know, if you live in New York, you know that everybody on the Yankees and the Mets is going to be eligible to get vaccinated tomorrow. So that maybe, maybe we'll see a little bit of a decline in, in how many games these two teams lose in the next, after the about five weeks from now, when all of them will be fully vaccinated. It, it's, it's concerning because we are not out of the woods yet. And I understand the frustration of the Met fan though, because it's, you know, every other league has kind of figured out a way to not lose four straight games. Now, like when the MLB came back in July, they were the only sport not in a bubble. And they said, look, if you have a case, you're closed down for 12 days, no questions asked. And that's how they dealt with it. And that's fine. You can't really argue with that. But now you've seen the NHL and the NBA and the NFL push through these seasons where they're not losing four and five straight games on a very, very rare occasion. You look at the Vancouver Canucks. Now that's one of the occasions with the Buffalo Sabres back in February. That's another one of them example of losing two plus weeks of play, but the Nats are going to play tonight too. And that's, what's confusing to me. It's you can't pick one. Like, like you can't just, you have to pick one. You can't just like, have this weird hybrid of we're going to cancel four straight games, but it's not going to be actually two weeks. Like, I don't know. It, it, the fact that they couldn't even get one game in is a little bit upsetting. Um, I'm sure for the Met fan as well, but um, you get the Frankie Lindor uh, opening day in Philadelphia instead of Washington, which will be interesting. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You talk about uh, the other leagues having their their seasons in the the era of COVID, if you will. Um, and I will say specifically with the NFL, I was very critical of the NFL this past season. And I will continue to be very critical of the way they handled this. Cause a lot of people will say they, uh, they, they managed to get this season despite COVID um, when really it just seems to me all they actually did was just ignore it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a whole, that's a whole other way of, of going about it that the national football league chose. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Major League Baseball does at least seem to be, along with the NBA and the NHL, um, uh, but much more um, cognizant of this, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a certain how do I want to say this? There's there's a there's a certain understanding that um, if you do not attend to the issues you're facing now, um, it's going to have even greater repercussions later. If you don't shut down a team after they have COVID. Um, all you're going to do is just continue building on things until all of a sudden you don't have much of a roster anymore because everybody's got COVID. Right. And then there's so many games that won't be played. And then this whole season that you've built up to be perfect is just not going to happen. And mm. then it ruins things for everybody. So um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad major league baseball is not ignoring um, the, the issue as I would say the NFL did. And I, that's all I had to say about football, but um I, I, I'm, I'm happy they are addressing this thing as opposed to saying, we're, you know what, we're just going to have a season anyway and ignoring it. So that at least makes me very happy. But, uh, Chris, you brought up Francisco Lindor, the newest New York Met. And 
it's it's almost like he's even more of a New York Met now. But this is the first time we've had a nosebleeds episode since he signed his 10-year, 300-plus million dollar contract extension with the New York Mets. He's going to be a Metropolitan at this point until he is 38 years old. And as he said earlier this week, asked what he was going to be like at age 38, he said he's going to be a bad MFer. So that's always nice to hear. But Chris, I, I have not been able to get your opinion on this so far. What do you think of the deal? Was this the right move by the Mets? Was it the right amount of money, the right amount of time? What do you think? It was almost a disaster. I mean, if this guy goes in, if this guy takes a swing on a one-year contract, it's a disaster, yeah. in my opinion. Um, but he didn't. And I think if he had taken a swing with a one-year contract, it would have been the crown jewel of what's been a mo- more than more than anything upsetting offseason for Cohen and Alderson because he, he, despite wanting to pay Bauer, Springer, LeMahieu, and Real Muto, you didn't actually get any of them. And three of those guys went to the Yankees, the Phillies, and the Dodgers. The fact that they are able to re-sign Lindor, get him here for the next 10 years, I think saves this offseason from being an epic disaster. Um, and, and what, I mean, now he's got to earn it, you know, now he's got to earn it. And I think he will. I think it'll be great for the Mets. I do. Um, and I think, you know, Lindor is certainly a better prospect than Andres Jimenez, even in the 27 to 38 year old seasons, a better prospect than Andres, Andres Jimenez. So, wow. I mean, it's a lot of money. It puts him up there with bets. Tatis, Harper, and Machado, which that's who he's with. And Trout, of course. That's who he's with. You know, that he's a top 10 player in baseball. He's getting paid like a top 10 player in baseball. And good for him, good for his family, good for his, you know, children's, 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 children who will who will be, you know, reaping the benefits of this contract because you can't possibly spend $300 million in 50 years. I guess you could, but be hard. There's certainly a way to do it. There's certainly a way. Um, and I, I hope he is a bad mother effort for you. I hope he is good. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the hope for everybody. You, you I, nobody wants to see a, a wash up with a big contract, even on a team you don't like, it's just not fun to see. It's not good for the game. It's not good for the, the league. It's just not good. Um, but I, I, I will say this, you mentioned this earlier, but like in true Mets style in an off season, that was really in light of everything, um, good things happening it still was almost on the brink of disaster whether it be not extending Lindor or um the Cohen Wall Street madness of, of mm-hmm. that time and Jared Porter and so much going on but for the Mets benefit that is all in the past um they can they can start their season without any of that over their heads with the extension of um extending Mike and Conforto but that's a whole other story uh but 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 here's the thing Lindor is he is in that level of talent, like you mentioned, with Machado and Harper and everybody who's got these big contracts, Mookie Betts and Tatis. Um, but also, even if he wasn't, the general consensus in baseball is that he is, which mm-hmm. means he's going to get that money wherever he goes. Yep. Um, and the Mets have never been in a better position to make that kind of deal. So what better time to do it than right now? Um and I said for most of the offseason, all Steve Cohen needed to do this offseason to prove that he was for real and he was not all talk was just make one big acquisition. Show us, show us what the trajectory is by making one big acquisition. And that's what he did. And he did not really put an exclamation point on it, if you will. 
until Friday when this contract extension was announced. But nevertheless, it was made. So to wrap things up with the Mets here, Chris, I um, <clears throat> perhaps you've already talked about this on this podcast, but I'm not listening to episodes I'm not in, so I didn't get to hear it. Um, your, your, your prediction for the Mets season, give me like an over-under kind of number. Do you think they're going to be able to beat the Braves in the division? What do you think? I don't think they're going to be able to beat the Braves in the division. Uh, Deluca and I did this. Uh, we did. I have the Mets between 92 and 96 wins and the Yankees between about 97 and 102. So, so both of them to have very good seasons. I also have the Braves in that upper 90s region as well. So I do think the Mets will have to play a wild card game. And what sucks about it is that the NL West is so good that in the wild card game, they're going to have to play either San Diego or LA, which has the opportunity to be the best wild card game ever, right? DeGrom against Kershaw. That'd be good <laughs> guess, which would be great for me. It wouldn't be good for you. You know, I'd be able to watch the game. Wow. DeGrom against Kershaw. One game playoff. This is great. Meanwhile, Balsamo has no, no nails left on his fingers by the end of it. So I think it's going to be a good season for them. I am concerned about the back end of their rotation, especially with Carrasco out. I am significantly more concerned about their bullpen outside of Seth Lugo. Um, Edwin Diaz is such a question mark. Familia stinks. Batanz is such a question mark. Um, I, maybe you have a nice season from David Peterson. He's able to kind of right this ship before Syndergaard and Carrasco come back um, for the next month. But I think that the pitching is a big concern for this team. One to nine. They're pretty good. They're they're or one to eight, I should say. They're very very good. Uh, that nine spot, that pitcher outside of forty eight, is uh, is concerning for sure. Absolutely, and I I sympathize with what you're saying about exciting games and not wanting your team to play in them. <laughs> A couple of years ago, um, the Giants played on Thanksgiving. The New York Giants played yes. on Thanksgiving, and it was the worst Thanksgiving of my entire life. I hate. <laughs> I, hope they, I hope they never play on Thanksgiving again. It's just too stressful. I did not like it at all. Um, so I sympathize with, with Jets fans who have had to see much more often than Giants fans have to see their team play on Thanksgiving. But um, that's, uh, that's beside the point. Uh, you know, uh, all of your reservations about the Mets are completely valid. I also don't think they're going to be able to beat Atlanta, at least not this year. Um, you know, 2022 is going to be a different story after yep. they see with a, with, a full, um, with a full lot of cash in their wallet what they can actually address and, and actually have the feasible means to address those things. Um, but yeah, no, uh, the bullpen outside of Lugo has been a concern of mine for 15 years, quite frankly, but, <laughs> um, uh, but you know, Lugo will shine and the top end of the rotation. I think Jacob deGrom actually might be as good as he was in 2018, if not perhaps a little bit better. Um, yeah. that's my, that's my prediction for him this year. And I know I'm not, uh, I'm not alone in that, uh, in that frame of mind. Uh, so, yeah, I put the Mets myself at 91-92 wins for the season. That probably puts them – I think it's only going to be a game of separation between the first and second wild card in the NL this year, which is probably yep. going to be the Padres because I think the Dodgers are the better team in the West. Uh, but that, like you said, it's going to be – that's going to be the most intense night of my life, that wild card game. Um, it's, it's silly to pencil it in, but you can pretty much pencil in Mets-Padres – DeGrom against Snell, probably. Yeah. Um, Tatis against Lindor, the first night of October, the first Thursday in October. And and let's play – and just let's start from there because, I mean, the NL Central stinks out loud. It's the reason Trevor Bauer won the fraudulent Cy Young he won last year. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Trevor Bauer. Oh. 
I, uh, I don't disagree with you there. But um, and they, so they're not going to get a second team. They're barely going to get a first team. So, and then the, the idea that the NL Central winner will be one win away, will be one series away from the NLCS, while the Mets or the Padres, who have 91 seasons, 95 win seasons, are going to have to go through the Dodgers again. It's going to be, it's going to be a tough, tough October road with with the the um, what am I trying to say? The format that we have right now is going to be a tough road for both the Mets and the Padres to get to the World Series. And they're popular picks in the National League, and they absolutely should be. But when you have a team who just won the World Series and another team who was one game away from beating that team in the NLCS, I would put those teams above them right now. Completely understood. I, I sympathize with everything you're saying. Um, just to close things out here, um, it was a rather big story from this opening weekend off the field, if you will, was that uh, this up, this year's upcoming Major League Baseball All-Star game was uh, planned to be taking place in Atlanta, Georgia, home of the Braves, was probably going to be a, uh, a great uh, celebration of the life of Henry Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Major League Baseball has decided to move uh, the game out of the state of Georgia, whatever that might mean. Who knows if the Braves will still be the official host. Um, but the point is they have moved um, because of um, uh, the voting laws uh, passed in the state of Georgia over the past um, couple of weeks um, that, have, that have proven themselves to be rather um, suppressive towards certain voters. So, um, Chris, uh, I, I want your opinion on this. Was this the right move by Major League Baseball? How would you have handled this? What do you think? It's hard to say it's the wrong move. But the only people you aren't hurting with this move are the people who signed the bill. In my opinion, mm-hmm. you're hurting the Braves. You're hurting the players of the Braves. You're hurting the bar owner from outside the stadium who is barely squeaking through COVID and is finally going to get an all-star game. You're hurting the legacy of Henry Aaron, to be perfectly honest with you. You're hurting the vendors in the building. You're hurting a lot of people in the city of Atlanta who, you know, we don't have to get political, but a lot of people in that city who are the only reason the state flipped in November. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you want to just look at it in a black and white, or in this case, blue and red situation, that's who you're hurting. And it, su- I, it sucks for all of those people that they had to pull this game out, but it's hard to say that they're wrong. I completely agree. It's hard to say they're wrong. And I can, I can understand um, saying that it does hurt the legacy of Hank Aaron, if you will. Um, I've heard a suggestion online that hopefully they'll move it to Milwaukee, the other mm-hmm. place Hank Aaron played in his career. So we can still keep it a celebration of his life. Perhaps um, the, the top one or two baseball player of at least the 20th century, perhaps of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people that this hurts outside of um, supporting uh, those oppressed by these new voting laws, um, specifically around the organization, people who really do need this kind of exposure for the city of Atlanta, the state of Georgia, um, in a more general sense. Um, I think there are other ways that Major League Baseball can show their 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 sympathy for these people and show their their compassion for for people who this law affects. Um, besides from just not going to Atlanta in mid July. Um, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a major league corporation that has a lot of money, uh, that can be put towards certain causes. So I hope they also, um, they also continue to show their support, um, for such causes. But my issue really is that the, the people who signed this 
probably couldn't name a single player on the Braves and I had no idea the all-star game was being played in Atlanta. That to me is the biggest issue. You're hurting baseball fans. And I, we talk about it on five on three all the time. The NHL loves POing hockey fans, just like the MLB loves POing baseball fans. It is, it is certainly an interesting dynamic to have between a league and your fans. And perhaps it's part of the reason why Major League Baseball is losing their younger generation of fans. But that is a that could be a whole episode in itself of Nosebleeds. And we are out of time in this particular episode. Chris, it has been wonderful seeing you and talking to you as always. This has been Nosebleeds, WFEV's baseball podcast. We want to thank our friend Juliana Burke for producing this episode. This has been a production of WFUV Sports. This is Nosebleeds. We hope you join us next week. Bye-bye.